This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be talking to Chris Davis. Chris is a longtime friend and fellow CBC alum. Excited to talk to him. He's a youth pastor in Baltimore and uh, a really great friend and someone I think we can learn a lot from in the way of living the discipleship lifestyle because uh, this guy does it, you know, everything from a social media post to the way that he lives with his uh, wife and his kids and what he's striving to do each and every single day in ministry. Um, he emanates the love of Christ, and uh, it really comes through when you get to talk to him and when you get to know him. So I'm really excited to talk to Chris today and uh, see what we can learn about the discipleship lifestyle. And in the first chapter of this conversation, we're going to be talking about Chris's story and how he became a Christian and what the Christian life looks like when you begin to follow Jesus. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. And Chris has been a longtime friend, like we mentioned earlier, went to CBC with him. Um, I like to always give kind of fun facts about guests sometimes. At CBC, Chris used to have a big afro. (laughs) It was massive. (laughs) And I had a really long, nasty goatee, and so if people wanted to distinguish between which Chris on campus, they would have to point to their head or the goatee to uh, <laughs> to know which Chris they were talking about. My wife's really quick to tell me that uh, she's glad she met me after the Afro. She's like, I don't think you would have got me with that thing. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <word. laughs> My wife says the same thing about that nasty goatee I had. So. <laughs> and we, all made, we all made foolish mistakes in our youth. That's right. That's what college is for. That's right. <laughs> But Chris, you are from Flint, Michigan, right? Yes, sir. Born and raised. Born and raised. A proud Michigander. Yep. And, um, you, you know, you have an interesting story uh, growing up in Flint. I know, um, you know, Flint, it's been in the news here recently with some stuff going on. It's a pretty rough town. In fact, I just saw Springfield, where we live, made the top 10 worst cities in America yeah. to live. We were number eight. And I think uh, Flint was number two, right? I was, yeah. With I just Detroit being number one. It's funny because I was born and raised in Flint, which was number two. I saw Springfield shot up to number eight. And Baltimore's a pretty rough area where we are now, but Baltimore was number nine. So I joke around all, I joke around all the time when people say, you know, Baltimore's like a vacation for me. You know, and <laughs> it's like, oh, this, is, this is easy. So. That's right. That's well, funny. I, and I'm from Memphis, and that was number four. So at least, you know, I guess <laughs> this is better than that, but... I actually don't think so, but anyway, we digress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so growing up in Flint, I know I know Flint was a, a rough area, and we had a bunch of uh, other students, friends um, that also grew up in Flint, Michigan. And so I know you kind of come from a little bit of a rough background. I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that a little bit and tell us what your journey has been like coming to faith in Christ, because you didn't grow up a Christian, right? Um, so growing up in Flint— um, we grew up in an all-black community. We were the only white family in our entire church. Um, for most of my life, we were the only white family in our school until I changed schools later on in high school. Um, but within black culture, for the most part, a lot of people, you just go to church because that's what you do on a Sunday. And So my mom would drag us to church all the time just because that's what you do. And so I went to church. I had some of those experiences early on, and was, um, but nothing ever really sank in. I didn't have faith. I would sleep on the back row of the church, you know, and it was it was that kind of faith that I was uh, brought up under. My mom was on fire, loved Jesus, but none of us kids ever really clicked or got it. Um, you know, and it, it took me much later in life until I was in high school before I 
found myself uh, coming to Christ. And uh, really the way it kind of played out for me is in a typical household for the area we grew up in, um, I didn't really have much of a relationship with my dad. He was in and out of jail, uh, in and out of prison. He was absent because of drug addiction and various other things going on. Uh, right now, you know, I'm not 100% sure where he is. And so that's been kind of the relationship that we had with him was in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, you know, and there's so many stories I could go into about that journey in and of itself. But because of the house that I grew up in, the arguing, my dad coming in and out, um, there were times we would come home from church and the house is completely empty because he pawned everything that we owned so he could go get high. And, uh, you know, just instances like that. What happened for me, though, um, just kind of growing up in that culture and in that atmosphere, you just become hard and your heart becomes hardened. Um, and I think it's always ironic that Flint, you know, is called what it is because the people of Flint, a lot of them have such a hardened heart. And we know that Flint is like a stone, um, you know, and it just kind of was fitting of that area. But so many people, you go through experiences that the experiences begin to shape who you become. And so for so long, I just felt like even at a young age, my heart was getting harder and harder and harder. Um, I had this kid in high school named Nathan Murray. And this kid, he loved Jesus. He went to this church on the outskirts of Flint, and he bugged me every single week in high school. Like, would you go to church with me? Would you go to church? And I'm like, no, no, no. Constantly shutting him down. And then uh, all of a sudden, one day, myself and my brother Kevin, we went to this party on a weekend, had no business being there. Bottom line, we, we were on the wrong side of town, hanging out with the wrong people. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting jumped pretty bad. There was about seven guys that surrounded me and him, and, you know, they gave it to us pretty good. And then, uh, I remember there was a guy that he stood up in the back of the he stood up in the bed of his pickup truck and then he took a shotgun and he pointed it in my face and then he went to pull the trigger. And at the last second, the gun jammed. And at that moment, it just seemed like everything just froze and, and I didn't really know what to do. And I think even they were surprised. And so I like hit the gun out of my face and I just took off running into this nearby cornfield. And uh I remember I just got as far back in there as I could, and I just fell to the ground, and I'm just weeping. You know, and these guys, are they're in the truck driving through the field looking for me, and I'm just weeping. Like, in that moment, I'm like, I know that was God. I know that God, you know, saved me in that moment. And so the following week, I know, here comes Nate Murray asking me, hey, you want to go to church? And this time I'm like, you know what, man, I, I think I do want to go this time. And uh, But even still, when I started going to church with him, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. I was very skeptical. Um I will say the first week that we went, we were pretty late showing up to service and uh, the entrance was in the back. And so we come in the back door. Worship is already going. And it was the first time I had ever experienced kids my age actively engaged in worship. And I felt the presence of God just like I did in that cornfield. I felt it in that in that sanctuary when I walked in and into that youth room. And uh, in that moment, I'm like, OK, there's something here. And I wasn't fully ready to commit at that point. It was at least another three months before I made that decision to follow Jesus. But for me, it took having those experiences to actually feel the presence of God in order to say, okay, there's something here. Like, this thing is real. And, uh, you know, that, that's really kind of what got me into the church in general and kind of really beginning to grow in my faith. Yeah. Wow, man. What an incredible story. <laughs> that's crazy. Not a lot of people— um, you know, experience something that that powerful. What was a big turning point for you, though? You said your heart had become hard, and obviously, it took about that three or four month period to really kind of soften soften you up, and you recognized that something was going on. Um, 
so what kind of led led you to that? And maybe while you're thinking about it, you know, because I have my story is kind of similar in that I walked away from the Lord when I came back. I had an experience where I I got introduced to a really strong Pentecostal Southern Pentecostal church, and I remember sure. sitting in a prayer meeting and feeling having that same uh, experience of like the presence of God is here. Right. This is incredible because, yeah. like you were saying, kids my age were praying incredibly, and it wasn't just kind of like the, you know, they stand in a circle and kind of say like a mediocre prayer. Man, they were they were pursuing hard after God, and yeah. um, but it, it, same same thing. I wasn't ready to commit yet either, and so um, what was it that kind of led you to softening that heart up and saying, you know what, this really is something that I, I want to throw my lot in with and follow Christ. You know what, man, it, it, for me, it was just kind of a uh, continual, it was almost like a continual chiseling. Like each week that I went back, it was like a little piece of that stone was chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And uh, it, it was a long process. But the more that I saw that this thing was real, the students meant it. The youth pastor was a super genuine guy. Um, as somebody that didn't have a father figure growing up, he kind of took me under his wing. Um, he allowed me to do kind of an unofficial internship with him while I was still in high school. And uh, even after I started going to the youth group, I messed up, made a lot of mistakes. And he really was the first person to take me under his side and say, hey, that's okay. Like, I'm going to help you work through these things. And so my relationship with him um, definitely helped kind of push through to realize the relational aspect of the faith rather than like the do's and don'ts that I witnessed in the church growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like I said, it was each week. Um, my youth pastor, he used to close every single sermon the same way. He was one of those guys that he would say, if you were to walk out of church right now today and you get hit by a bus, <laughs> do you know where you're going, heaven or hell? And so you know, it, it was one of those things where I knew he was going to end the sermon like that each each week. And uh, each week I could just kind of feel this little tug, like, do you know, like, do you really know? And finally, about three months in, you know, I knew he was going to end the sermon that way. And before he even got the question out, I'm like jumping over rows of chairs, to, like run up to the front. I'm like, I want to go to heaven. And like, you know, I want this thing. And so it's in that moment, like my heart just it, it literally felt like my heart just broke. And uh mm. You know, it's just a crazy, crazy softening. I even shared this story with our students last night in our youth group. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really pressing our students right now for the idea of you can't follow Jesus and stay the same. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. Like if you're actually pursuing and following Jesus, pursuing what it means to be Christ-like, things in your life will change. Um, before church, my mom and I would argue all the time. I would steal money from her. It just... It a terrible relationship, primarily from my end. Like I just, I did not make life easy on her. And uh, you know, my room was a mess. I never did anything around the house. The night I got saved, the first thing I did when I got home was clean my room. Wow. And then I went out and I took the trash out, and I could see my mom like peeking around the corner. She's like, "Whose kid is this?" And I'm like, <laughs> and so I could, I could see her like looking, and uh, but I'm like. And I didn't even think about it at the time, but it literally like was in that moment that I responded to that pulling that I felt like my character began to shift and began to change like right away. And so uh, really, like I said, the turning point, like you asked to that point, it was just a gradual chipping away of that hardness. And then once I actually stepped out and responded to that, it's like the dam just broke open and I just felt, you know, the presence of God in in a way like never before. Mm -hmm. Just this piece of, uh, you know, it's okay. You know, the house I grew up in, Part of what kept me from wanting to respond, especially during the three-month window of time, was if God is so good, why does my house look like this? 
Why are my parents arguing all the time? Why is my dad a drug addict? Why are all these things taking place? And those were the questions that I was wrestling with that kept me from responding for those three months. And uh, in that moment, though, none of that mattered. You know, the presence of God was so much more real than those circumstances that, you know, I'm like, I got to give myself over to this. And I'm so glad that I did. But that was definitely the turning point was it was just a gentle, constant pursuit. And, uh, you know, once I responded, it, it, it all just went full blast from there. Chris, thanks so much for telling us this first part of your story. It really is incredible how God leads us and guides us into salvation, just with the, the gentle promptings that we often take for granted. And what you observed with your mom in uh, taking out the trash and things like that, it, it really is incredible how following Jesus really does begin to change you. Sometimes that happens imperceptibly slow, and we don't really feel like it's even happening. But that's part of what journaling's for. If you journal and you look back over the things that God's done in your life, it's easier to see the way that God's been working and moving in your life to make you more like Him. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. Be sure to check out our next chapter in this conversation, where we talk about how God is a great great father, and what that looked like for Chris Davis as he began to live his new life as a Christian. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast app you choose to listen to this on, and let us know how we can do things better. We're always looking for constructive criticism in ways that we can grow daily.